If you're enjoying Send Me to Sleep, make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. Also, if you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All of this really helps the show reach new listeners. And you never know, your review may convince someone to listen and lead them to a good night's rest, which I hope you all agree is worth sharing. Thanks so much for your listenership and support. Good evening. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 5 to 7 of TikTok of Oz by L. Frank Baum. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 5 The Roses Repulse the Refugees Gently the raft grated on the sandy beach, then Betsy easily waded ashore, the mule following closely behind her. The sun was now shining, and the air was warm and laden with the fragrance of roses. I'd like some breakfast, Hank, remarked the girl, feeling more cheerful now that she was on dry land. But we can't eat the flowers, although they do smell mighty good. Hee-haw, replied Hank and trotted up a little pathway to the top of the bank. Betsy followed, and from the eminence looked around her. A little way off stood a splendid big greenhouse, its thousand of crystal panes glittering in the sunlight. There ought to be people somewhere round, observed Betsy thoughtfully. Gardeners or somebody... Let's go and see, Hank. I'm getting hungrier every minute. So they walked towards the great greenhouse and came to its entrance without meeting with anyone at all. A door stood ajar, so Hank went in first, thinking if there was any danger, he could come back out and warn his companion. But Betsy was close at his heels, and the moment she entered, was lost in amazement at the wonderful sight she saw. The greenhouse was filled with magnificent rose bushes, all growing in big pots. On the central stem of each bush bloomed a splendid rose, gorgeously coloured and deliciously fragrant and in the centre of each rose was the face of a lovely girl. As Betsy and Hank entered, the heads of the roses were drooping, and their eyelids were closed in slumber. But the mule was so amazed that he uttered aloud, Hee-haw! And at the sound of his harsh voice, the rose leaves fluttered, the roses raised their heads, and a hundred startled eyes 
were instantly fixed upon the intruders. I, I beg your pardon, stammered Betsy, blushing and confused. Oh, 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 cried the roses in a sort of sighing chorus, and one of them added, What a horrid noise. Why, that was only Hank, said Betsy, and as if to prove the truth of her words, the mule uttered another loud, hee-haw. At this, all the roses turned on their stems as far as they were able, and trembled as if someone was shaking their bushes. A dainty moss rose gasped, Dear me, how dreadfully dreadful. It isn't dreadful at all, said Betsy, somewhat indignant. When you get used to Hank's voice, it will put you to sleep. The roses now looked at the mule less fearfully, and one of them asked, Is that savage beast named Hank? Yes, Hank's my comrade. Faithful and true, answered the girl, twinning her arms around the little mule's neck and hugging him tight. Aren't you, Hank? Hank could only say in reply, Hee-haw! And at his bray, the roses shivered again. Please go away, begged one. Can't you see you're frightening us out of a week's growth? Go away, echoed Betsy. Why, we've no place to go. We've just been wrecked. Wrecked? asked the roses in a surprised chorus. Yes, we were on a big ship and the storm came and wrecked it, explained the girl. But Hank and I caught hold of a raft and floated ashore to this place and we're tired and hungry. What country is this, please? This is the Rose Kingdom, replied the Moss Rose haughtily, and it is devoted to the culture of the rarest and fairest roses grown. I believe it, said Betsy, admiring the pretty blossoms. But only roses are allowed here, continued a delicate tea rose, bending her brows in a frown. Therefore you must go away before the royal gardener finds you and casts you back into the sea. Oh, is there a royal gardener then? inquired Betsy. To be sure. And is he a rose also? Of course not. He's a man, a wonderful man, was the reply. Well, I'm not afraid of a man, declared the girl, much relieved. And even as she spoke, the royal gardener popped into the greenhouse, a spading fork in one hand and a watering pot in the other. He was a funny little man dressed in a rose-coloured costume, with ribbons at his knees and elbows, and a bunch of ribbons in his hair. 
His eyes were small and twinkling, his nose sharp, and his face puckered and deeply lined. Oh ho, he exclaimed, astonished to find strangers in his greenhouse, and when Hank gave a loud bray, the gardener threw his watering pot over the mule's head and danced around with his fork in such agitation that presently he fell over the handle of the implement and sprawled at full length upon the ground. Betsy laughed and pulled the watering pot off from Frank's head. The little mule was angry at the treatment he had received and backed towards the gardener threateningly. Look out for his heels, called Betsy warningly, and the gardener scrambled to his feet and hastily hid behind the roses. You are breaking the law, he shouted, sticking out his head to glare at the girl and the mule. What law? asked Betsy. The law of the Rose Kingdom. No strangers are allowed in these domains. Not when they're shipwrecked, she inquired. The law doesn't accept shipwrecks, replied the royal gardener, and he was about to say more when suddenly there was a crash of glass and a man came tumbling through the roof of the greenhouse and fell plump to the ground. Chapter 6 Shaggy Seeks His Stray Brother The sudden arrival was a queer-looking man, dressed all in garments so shaggy that Betsy at first thought he must be some animal. But the stranger ended his fall in a sitting position, and then the girl saw it was really a man. He held an apple in his hand, which he had evidently been eating when he fell, and so little was he jarred or flustered by the accident that he continued to munch the apple as he calmly looked around him. Good gracious, exclaimed Betsy, approaching him. Who are you, and where did you come from? Me? Oh, I'm Shaggy Man, said he, taking another bite of the apple. Just dropped in for a short call. Excuse my seeming haste. Why, I suppose you couldn't help the haste, said Betsy. No, I climbed an apple tree outside. Branch gave way and here I am. As he spoke, the shaggy man finished his apple, gave the core to Hank, who ate it greedily, and then stood up to bow politely to Betsy and the roses. The royal gardener had been frightened nearly into fits by the crash of glass and the fall of the shaggy stranger into the bower of roses, but now he peeped out from behind a bush and cried in his squeaky voice, You're breaking the law. 
you're breaking the law. Shaggy stared at him solemnly. Is the glass the law in this country? He asked. Breaking the glass is breaking the law, squeaked the gardener angrily. Also, to intrude in any part of the Rose Kingdom is breaking the law. How do you know? asked Shaggy. Why, it's printed in a book, said the gardener, coming forward and taking a small book from his pocket. Page 13. Here it is. If any stranger enters the Rose Kingdom, he shall at once be condemned by the ruler and put to death. So you see, strangers, he continued triumphantly. It's death for you all and your time has come. But just here, Hank interposed. He had been stealthily backing towards the royal gardener, whom he disliked, and now the mule's heels shot out and struck the little man in the middle. He doubled up like the letter U and flew out of the door so swiftly, never touching the ground, that he was gone before Betsy had time to wink. But the mule's attack frightened the girl. Come, she whispered, approaching the shaggy man and taking his hand. Let's go somewhere else. They'll surely kill us if we stay here. Don't worry, my dear, replied Shaggy, patting the child's head. I'm not afraid of anything, so long as I have the love magnet. The love magnet? Why, what is that? asked Betsy. It's a charming little enchantment that wins the heart of everyone who looks upon it, was the reply. The love magnet used to hang over the gateway to the Emerald City in the land of Oz, but when I started on this journey, our beloved ruler, Ozma of Oz, allowed me to take it with me. Oh, cried Betsy, staring hard at him. Are you really from the wonderful land of Oz? Yes, ever been there, my dear? No, but I've heard about it. And do you know Princess Ozma? Very well indeed. And, and Princess Dorothy? Dorothy's an old chum of mine, declared Shaggy. Dear me, exclaimed Betsy. And why did you ever leave such a beautiful land as Oz? On an errand, said Shaggy, looking sad and solemn. I'm trying to find my dear little brother. Oh, is he lost? questioned Betsy feeling very sorry for the poor man. Been lost these ten years, replied Shaggy, taking out a handkerchief and wiping a tear from his eye. I didn't know it until lately, when I saw it I recorded in the magic record book of the sorceress Glinda, in the land of Oz, 
so now I'm trying to find him. Where was he lost? asked the girl sympathetically. Back in Colorado, where I used to live before I went to Oz. Brother was a miner and dug gold out of a mine. One day he went into his mine and never came out. They searched for him, but he was not there. Disappeared entirely, Shaggy ended miserably. For goodness sake, what do you suppose became of him? She asked. There is only one explanation, replied Shaggy, taking another apple from his pocket and eating it to relieve his misery. The Gnome King probably got him. The Gnome King? Who is he? Why, he's sometimes called the Metal Monarch, and his name is Ruggedo. Lives in some underground cavern. Claims to own all the metals hidden in the earth. Don't ask me why. Why? Because I don't know. But this Ruggedo gets wild with anger if anyone digs gold out of the earth. And my private opinion is that he captured brother and carried him off to his underground kingdom. No, don't ask me why. I see you're dying to ask me why, but I don't know. But, dear me, in that case you will never find your lost brother, exclaimed the girl. Maybe not, but it's my duty to try, answered Shaggy. I've wandered so far without finding him, but that only proves he is not where I've been looking. What I see now is the hidden passage to the underground cavern of the terrible metal monarch. Well, said Betsy doubtfully, it strikes me that if you ever manage to get there, the metal monarch will make you too his prisoner. Nonsense, answered Shaggy carelessly. You mustn't forget the love magnet. What about it? she asked. When the fierce metal monarch sees the love magnet, he will love me dearly and do anything I ask. It must be wonderful, said Betsy with awe. It is, the man assured her. Shall I show it to you? Oh, do, she cried. So Shaggy searched in his shaggy pocket and drew out a small silver magnet shaped like a horseshoe. The moment Betsy saw it, she began to like the shaggy man better than before. Hank also saw the magnet and crept up to Shaggy to rub his head lovingly against the man's knee but they were interrupted by the royal gardener, who stuck his head into the greenhouse and shouted angrily, You are all condemned to death. Your only chance to escape is to leave here instantly. This startled little Betsy, 
but the shaggy man merely waved the magnet towards the gardener, who, seeing it, rushed forwards and threw himself at Shaggy's feet, murmuring in honeyed words, Oh, you lovely, lovely man, how fond I am of you. Every shag and bobtail that decorates you is dear to me. All I have is yours, but for goodness sake, get out of here before you die the death. I'm not going to die, declared Shaggy Man. You must, it's the law, exclaimed the gardener, beginning to weep real tears. It breaks my heart to tell you this bad news, but the law says that all strangers must be condemned by the ruler to die the death. No ruler has condemned us yet, said Betsy. Of course not, added Shaggy. We haven't even seen the ruler of the Rose Kingdom. Well, to tell you the truth, said the gardener in a perplexed tone of voice, we haven't any real ruler just now. You see, all our rulers grow on bushes in the royal gardens, and the last one we had got millweed and withered before his time. So we had to plant him, and at this time there is no one growing on the royal bushes who is ripe enough to pick. How do you know? asked Betsy. Why, I'm the royal gardener. Plenty of royalties are growing, I admit, but just now they are all green, until one ripens. I am supposed to rule the Rose Kingdom myself and see that its laws are obeyed. Therefore, much as I love you, Shaggy, I must put you to death. Wait a minute, pleaded Betsy. I'd like to see those royal gardens before I die. So would I, added Shaggy Man. Take us there, gardener. Oh, I can't do that, objected the gardener. But Shaggy again showed him the love magnet, and after one glance at it, the gardener could no longer resist. He led Shaggy, Betsy and Hank to the end of the great greenhouse and carefully unlocked a small door. Passing through this, they came into the splendid royal garden of the Rose Kingdom. It was all surrounded by a tall hedge and within the enclosure grew several enormous rose bushes having thick green leaves of the texture of velvet. Upon these bushes grew the members of the royal family of the Rose Kingdom, men, women and children in all stages of maturity. They all seemed to have a light green hue, as if unripe or not fully developed. Their flesh and clothing being alike green. They stood perfectly lifeless upon their branches, which swayed softly in the breeze, 
and their wide open eyes stared straight ahead, unseeing and unintelligent. While examining these curious growing people, Betsy passed behind a big central bush and at once uttered and exclaimed of surprise and pleasure, for there, blooming in perfect color and shape, stood a royal princess whose beauty was amazing. Why, she's ripe, cried Betsy, pushing aside some of the broad leaves to observe her more clearly. Well, perhaps so, admitted the gardener, who had come to the girl's side. But she's a girl, and so we can't use her for a ruler. No, indeed, came a chorus of soft voices, and looking around, Betsy discovered that all the roses had followed them from the greenhouse and were now grouped before the entrance. You see, explained the gardener, the subjects of Rose Kingdom don't want a girl ruler, they want a king. A king, we want a king, repeated the chorus of roses. Isn't she royal, inquired Shaggy, admiring the lovely princess. Of course, for she grows on a royal bush. This princess is named Ozga, as she is a distant cousin of Ozma of Oz, and, were she but a man, we would joyfully hail her as our ruler. The gardener then turned away to talk with his roses, and Betsy whispered to her companion, Let's pick her shaggy. All right, said he. If she's royal, she has the right to rule this kingdom, and if we pick her, she will surely protect us and prevent our being hurt or driven away. So Betsy and Shaggy each took an arm of the beautiful Rose Princess, and a little twist of her feet set her free of the branch upon which she grew. Very gracefully she stepped down from the bush to the ground, where she bowed low to Betsy and Shaggy and said in a delightfully sweet voice, I thank you. But at the sound of these words, the gardener and the roses turned and discovered that the princess had been picked and was now alive. Over every face flashed an expression of resentment and anger, and one of the roses cried aloud, Audacious mortals, what have you done? Picked a princess for you, that's all, replied Betsy cheerfully. But we won't have her, we want a king, exclaimed a Jack Rose and another added with a voice of scorn, No girl shall rule over us. The newly picked princess looked from one to another of her rebellious subjects in astonishment. A grieved look came over her exquisite features. Have I no welcome here, pretty subjects? 
she asked gently. Have I not come from my royal bush to be your ruler? You were picked by mortals without our consent, replied the moss rose coldly, so we refuse to allow you to rule us. Turn her out, gardener, with the others, cried the tea rose. Just a second, please, called Shaggy, taking the love magnet from his pocket. I guess this will win their love, princess. Here, take it in your hand and let the roses see it. Princess Oscar took the magnet and held it poised before the eyes of her subjects. But the roses regarded it with a calm disdain. Why, what's the matter? demanded Shaggy in surprise. The magnet never failed to work before. I know, said Betsy, nodding her head wisely. These roses have no hearts. That's it, agreed the gardener. They're pretty and sweet and alive, but still they are roses. Their stems have thorns, but no hearts. The princess sighed and handed the magnet to the shaggy man. What shall I do? she asked sorrowfully. Turn her out, gardener, with the others, commanded the roses. We will have no ruler until a man rose, a king, is ripe enough to pick. Very well, said the gardener meekly. You must excuse me, my dear Shaggy, for opposing your wishes, but you and the others, including Oscar, must get out of the Rose Kingdom immediately, if not before. Don't you love me, Gardy? asked Shaggy, carelessly displaying the magnet. I do, I dote on thee, answered the gardener earnestly, but no true man will neglect his duty for the sake of love. My duty is to drive you out, so out you go. With this, he seized a garden fork and began jabbing it at the strangers in order to force them to leave. Hank the mule was not afraid of the fork, and when he got his heels near the gardener, the man fell back to avoid a kick. But now the roses crowded around the outcasts, and it was soon discovered that beneath their drapers of green leaves were many sharp thorns which were more dangerous than Hank's heels. Neither Betsy nor Oscar nor Shaggy nor the mule cared to brave those thorns, and when they pressed away from them, they found themselves slowly driven through the garden door into the greenhouse. From there they were forced out at the entrance, and so through the territory of the flower-strewn Rose Kingdom, which was not of very great extent. The Rose Princess was sobbing bitterly. 
Betsy was indignant and angry. Hank uttered defiant, hee-haws, and the shaggy man whistled softly to himself. The boundary of the Rose Kingdom was a deep gulf, but there was a drawbridge in one place, and this the royal garden let down until the outcasts had passed over it. Then he drew it up again and returned with his roses to the greenhouse, leaving the four queerly assorted comrades to wander into the bleak unknown country that lay beyond. I don't mind much, remarked Shaggy, as he led the way over the stony, barren ground. I don't mind much, remarked Shaggy, as he led the way over the stony, barren ground. I've got to search for my brother, anyhow, so it won't matter where I go. Hank and I will help you find your brother, said Betsy in her most cheerful voice. I'm so far away from home now that I don't suppose I'll ever find my way back. And, to tell the truth, it's more fun travelling around and having adventures than sticking at home. Don't you think so, Hank? Hee-haw, said Hank, and the shaggy man thanked them both. For my part, said Princess Oscar of Roseland with a gentle sigh, I must remain forever exiled from my kingdom, so I, too, will be glad to help the shaggy man find his lost brother. That's very kind of you, ma'am, said Shaggy, but unless I can find the underground cavern of Ruggedo, the metal monarch, I shall never find my poor brother. Footnote A This king was formerly named Rakat, but after he drank of the waters of oblivion, he forgot his own name and had to take another one. Doesn't anyone know where it is? inquired Betsy. Someone must know, of course, was Shaggy's reply. But we are not the ones. The only way to succeed is for us to keep going until we find a person who can direct us to Ruggedo's cavern. We may find it ourselves without any help, suggested Betsy. Who knows? No one knows that except the person who's writing this story, said Shaggy. But we won't find anything, not even supper, unless we travel on. Here's a path. Let's take it and see where it leads to. Chapter 7 Polychrome's Pitiful Plight The Rain King got too much water in his basin and spilled some over the brim. That made it rain in a certain part of the country, a real hard shower for a time, and sent the rainbow scampering to the place 
to show the gorgeous colours of his glorious bow as soon as the mist of the rain had passed and the sky was clear. The coming of the rainbow is always a joyous event to earth folk, yet few have ever seen it close by. Usually the rainbow is so far distant that you can observe its splendid hues but dimly, and that is why we seldom catch sight of the dancing daughters of the rainbow. In the barren country where the rain had just fallen, there appeared to be no human beings at all, but the rainbow appeared just the same, and dancing gaily upon its arch were the rainbow daughters, led by the fairy-like polychrome, whom is so dainty and beautiful that no girl has ever quite equaled her loveliness. Polychrome was in a merry mood and danced down the arch of the bow to the ground, daring her sisters to follow her. Laughing and gleeful, they also touched the ground with their twinkling feet, but all the daughters of the rainbow knew that this was a dangerous pastime so they quickly climbed upon their bow again. All but Polychrome, though the sweetest and merriest of them all, she was likewise the most reckless. Moreover, it was an unusual sensation to pat the cold, damp earth with her rosy toes. Before she realized it, the bow had lifted and disappeared in the billowing blue sky, and here was Polychrome, standing helpless upon a rock, her gauzy draperies floating about her like brilliant cobwebs, and not a soul, fairy or mortal, to help her regain her lost bow. Dear me, she exclaimed, a frown passing across her pretty face, I'm caught again. This is the second time my carelessness has left me on earth while my sisters returned to our sky palace. The first time I enjoyed some pleasant adventures, but this is a lonely, forsaken country, and I shall be very unhappy until my rainbow comes again and I can climb aboard. Let me think what is best to be done. She crouched low upon the flat rock, drew her draperies about her, and bowed her head. It was in this position that Betsy Bobbin spied Polychrome as she came along the stony path, followed by Hank, the princess, and Shaggy. At once the girl ran up to the radiant daughter of the rainbow and exclaimed, Oh, what a lovely, lovely creature. Polychrome raised her golden head. There were tears in her blue eyes. I'm the most miserable girl in the whole world, she sobbed. 
the others gathered around her. Tell us your troubles, pretty one, urged the princess. I, I've lost my bow, wailed Polychrome. Take me, my dear, said Shaggy Man in a sympathetic tone, thinking she meant bew instead of bow. I don't want you, cried Polychrome, stamping her foot imperiously. I want my rainbow. Oh, that's different, said Shaggy. But try to forget it. When I was young, I used to cry for the rainbow myself, but I couldn't have it. Looks as if you couldn't have it either, so please don't cry. Polychrome looked at him reproachfully. I don't like you, she said. No, replied Shaggy, drawing the love magnet from his pocket. Not a little bit. Just a wee speck of a like. Yes, yes, said Polychrome, clasping her hands in ecstasy as she gazed at the enchanted talisman. I love you, Shaggy Man. Of course you do, said he calmly, but I don't take any credit for it. It's the love magnet's powerful charm. But you seem quite alone and friendless, little rainbow. Don't you want to join our party until you find your father and sisters again? Where are you going? she asked. We don't just know that, said Betsy, taking her hand. But we're trying to find Shaggy's long-lost brother who has been captured by the terrible metal monarch. Won't you come with us and help us? Polychrome looked from one to another of the queer party of travellers, and a bewitching smile suddenly lighted her face. A donkey, a mortal maid, a rose princess, and a shaggy man, she exclaimed. Surely you need help if you intend to face Ruggedo. Do you know him then? inquired Betsy. No, indeed. Ruggedo's caverns are beneath the earth's surface, where no rainbow can ever penetrate. But I've heard of the Metal Monarch. He is also called the Gnome King, you know and he has made trouble for a good many people, mortals and fairies, in his time, said Polychrome. Do you fear him then? asked the princess, anxiously. No one can harm a daughter of the rainbow, said Polychrome proudly. I'm a sky fairy. Then, said Betsy quickly, you will be able to tell us the way to Ruggedo's cavern. No, returned Polychrome, shaking her head. That is one thing I cannot do, but I will gladly go with you and help you search for the place. This promise delighted all of the wanderers, 
and after the shaggy man had found the path again, they began moving along it in a more happy mood. The rainbow's daughter danced lightly over the rocky trail, no longer sad, but with her beautiful features wreathed in smiles. Shaggy came next, walking steadily and now and then supporting the Rose Princess who followed him. Betsy and Hank brought up the rear, and if she tired with walking, the girl got upon Hank's back and let the stout little donkey carry her for a while. At nightfall they came to some trees that grew beside a tiny brook, and here they made camp and rested until morning. Then away they tramped, finding berries and fruit here and there, which satisfied the hunger of Betsy, Shaggy and Hank, so they were well contented with their lot. It surprised Betsy to see the Rose Princess partake of their food, for she considered her a fairy, but when she mentioned this to Polychrome, the Rainbow's daughter explained that when Oscar was driven out of the Rose Kingdom, she ceased to be a fairy and would never again be more than a mere mortal. Polychrome, however, was a fairy wherever she happened to be, and if she sipped a few dewdrops of moonlight for refreshment, no one ever saw her do it. As they continued their wandering journey, direction meant very little to them, for they were hopelessly lost in this strange country. Shaggy said it would be best to go towards the mountains, as the natural entrance to Regedo's underground cavern was likely to be hidden in some rocky, deserted place. But mountains seemed all around them, except in the one direction that they'd come from, which led to the Rose Kingdom and the sea. Therefore it mattered little which way they travelled. By and by, they espied a faint trail that looked like a path, and after following this for some time, they reached a crossroads. Here were many paths, leading in various directions, and there was a signpost so old that there were now no words upon the sign. At one side was an old well, with a chain windlass for drawing water, yet there was no house or other building anywhere in sight. While the party halted, puzzled which way to proceed, the mule approached the well and tried to look in it. He's thirsty, said Betsy. It's a dry well, remarked Shaggy. Probably there has been no water in it for many years, but come, let us decide which way to travel. No one seemed able to decide that. They sat down in a group and tried to consider which road might be best to take. Hank, however, 
could not keep away from the well, and finally he reared up on his hind legs, got his head over the edge, and uttered a loud, Hee-haw! Betsy watched her animal friend curiously. I wonder if he sees anything down there, she said. At this, Shaggy rose and went over to the well to investigate, and Betsy went with him. The princess and Polychrome, who had become fast friends, linked arms and sauntered down one of the roads to find an easy path. Really, said Shaggy, there does seem to be something at the bottom of the well. Can't we pull it up and see what it is? asked the girl. There was no bucket at the end of the windless chain, but there was a big hook that at one time was used to hold the bucket. Shaggy let down this hook, dragged it around at the bottom, and then pulled it up. An old hoop skirt came with it, and Betsy laughed and threw it away. The thing frightened Hank, who had never seen a hoop skirt before, and he kept a good distance away from it. Several other objects the shaggy man captured with the hook and drew up, but none of these were important. This well seems to have been the dump for all the old rubbish in the country, he said, letting down the hook once more. I guess I've captured everything now. No, the hook has caught again. Help me, Betsy. Whatever this thing is, it's heavy. She ran up and helped him turn the windlass, and after much effort, a confused mass of copper came in sight. Gracious, exclaimed Shaggy, here is a surprise indeed. What is it? inquired Betsy, clinging to the windlass and panting for breath. For answer, the shaggy man grasped the bundle of copper and dumped it upon the ground, free of the well. Then he turned it over with his foot, spread it out, and to Betsy's astonishment, the thing proved to be a copper man. Just as I thought, said Shaggy, looking hard at the object. But unless there are two copper men in the world, this is the most astonishing thing I ever came across. At this moment, the Rainbow's daughter and the Rose Princess approached them, and Polychrome said, What have you found, Shaggy One? Either an old friend or a stranger, he replied. Oh, here's a sign on his back, cried Betsy, who had knelt down to examine the man. Dear me, how funny. Listen to this. Then she read the following words, engraved upon the copper plates of the man's body. Smith and Tinkers. Patent double action. Extra responsive. Thought creating. Perfect talking. 
mechanical man, fitted with our special clockwork attachment, thinks, speaks, acts, and does everything but live. Isn't he wonderful? exclaimed the princess. Yes, but here's more, said Betsy, reading from another engraved plate. Directions for using. For thinking. Wind the clockwork man under his left arm. Marked number one. For speaking. Wind the clockwork man under his right arm. Marked two. For walking and action. Wind clockwork man in the middle of his back. Marked three. N.B. This mechanism is guaranteed to work perfectly for a thousand years. If he's guaranteed for a thousand years, said Polychrome, he ought to work yet. Of course, replied Shaggy. Let's wind him up. In order to do this, they were obliged to set the copper man upon his feet in an upright position and this was no easy task. He was inclined to topple over, and had to be propped again and again. The girl assisted Shaggy, and at last, Tick-Tock seemed to be balanced and stood alone upon his broad feet. Yes, said Shaggy, looking at the copper man carefully. This must indeed be... My old friend Tick-Tock, who I left ticking merrily in the land of Oz. But how he came to this lonely place and got into that old well is surely a mystery. If we wind him, perhaps he will tell us, suggested Betsy. Here's the key, hanging to a hook on his back. What part of him shall I wind up first? His thoughts, of course, said Polychrome, for it requires thought to speak or move intelligently. So Betsy wound him under his left arm, and at once little flashes of light began to show in the top of his head, which proved that he had began to think. Now then, said Shaggy, wind up his phonograph, What's that? she asked. Why, his talking machine. His thoughts may be interesting, but they don't tell us anything. So Betsy wound the copper man under his right arm, and then from the interior of his copper body came in jerky tones the words, Many thanks. Hurry, cried Shaggy joyfully and he slapped Tick-Tock upon the back in such a hearty manner that the copper man lost his balance and tumbled to the ground in a heap. But the clockwork that enabled him to speak had been wound up, and he kept saying, Pick me up, pick me up, pick me up, until they had again raised him and balanced him upon his feet when he added politely, many thanks. 
he won't be self-supporting until we wind up his action, remarked Shaggy. So Betsy wound it, as tight as she could, for the key turned rather hard. And then, Tick-Tock lifted his feet, marched around in a circle, and ended by stopping before the group and making them all a low bow. How in the world did you happen to be in that well when I left you safe in Oz? inquired Shaggy. It is a long story, replied Tick-Tock, but I'll tell you in a few words. After you had gone in search of your brother, Ozma saw you wandering in strange lands whenever she looked at her magic picture, and she also saw your brother in the Gnome King's cavern, so she sent me to tell you where to find your brother, and told me to help you if I could. The sorceress Glinda the Good transported me to this place in the wink of an eye, but here I met the Gnome King himself, old Ruggedo, who is called in these parts the Metal Monarch. Ruggedo knew what I had come for, and he was so angry that he threw me down the well. After my works ran down, I was helpless until you came along and pulled me out again. Many thanks. This is indeed good news, said Shaggy. I suspected that my brother was the prisoner of Ruggedo, but now I know it. Tell us, Tick-Tock, how shall we get to the Gnome King's underground cavern? The best way is to walk, said Tick-Tock. We might crawl or jump or roll over and over until we get there, but the best way is to walk. I know, but which road shall we take? My machinery isn't made to tell that, replied Tick-Tock. There is more than one entrance to the underground cave, said Polychrome but old Ruggedo has cleverly concealed every opening, so the earth dwellers cannot intrude in his domain. If we find our way underground at all, it will be by chance. Then, said Betsy, let us select any road, haphazard, and see where it leads us. That seems sensible, declared the princess. It may require a lot of time for us to find Ruggedo, but we have more time than anything else. If you keep me wound up, said Tick-Tock, I will last a thousand years. Then the only question to decide is which way to go, added Shaggy, looking first at one road and then at another. 
But while they stood hesitating, a peculiar sound reached their ears, a sound like the tramping of many feet. What's coming? cried Betsy, and then she ran to the left-hand road and glanced along the path. Why, it's an army, she exclaimed. What shall we do? Hide or run? Stand still, commanded Shaggy. I'm not afraid of an army. If they prove to be friendly, they can help us. If they are enemies, I'll show them the love magnet.'